So I'm going to shake things up a bit now. Starting with today's episode of A Story in a Chat, I'll be asking different people to provide their perspective on why they think love is important. Today, we'll be hearing an activist's view on love. It's going to be a good one. So settle in and happy listening. everyone and welcome to a story in a chat the podcast where you will hear mine and other perspectives on topics that are important to all of us i am your host aisha iqbal and i wholeheartedly believe that conversations can bring people together in the most beautiful ways i've created the space to do just that and i'm really excited to share this next perspective with you today so let's get started shall we I was once told that the true treasures of life live deep within one's heart. So when the heart breaks, that's when the treasures flow out. It sounded bizarre to me. It almost sounded like the captions on the front of cereal boxes stating, free glow-in-the-dark pen inside, enticing an eight-year-old me to go elbow deep in the box of Lucky Charms for a one-time use pen. But it's not. Because with the cereal box, I only had to deal with a kitchen counter covered in cereal bits, which of course, I never cleaned up. With a broken heart though, where would I even begin since there are no physical heart bits for me to pick up and put back together? But the universe did me a solid this time. This time around, when my heart broke, she was given to me. With her came my confidence. With her came my voice. With her came my drive. With her came my unconditional and overwhelming love. She was brought through me to be my Mr. Miyagi. In the time that we've been together, almost four years now, she has taught me to forgive, truly forgive. She has taught me patience. My goodness, so much patience. She has taught me to dream big. I mean, really big. My daughter has made me want to become the woman, human, that I want her to be in this world. Love comes in many different varieties, a few of which I had already experienced over the course of my life before becoming a mother. Like Storje, for my parents, the familial love which is born out of familiarity or dependency. Philia, for my friends, a mutually beneficial love that comes with companionship, dependability, and trust. Eros for a handful of men, which allowed my heart to beat with passionate love. Agape, the universal love, has been with me from the start. I was that child who prayed for beggars on the streets of Mecca because I just wanted them to be okay. More recently though, I have worked on increasing philotia, a cognitive and emotional appraisal of myself. This healthy self-love is helping me invest myself completely in projects and people because I'm slowly liberating myself from the shackles of rejection and the fear of failure. Today, I'll be speaking with Teek Milan about love and why it's such a big deal. He has been an advocate in the LGBTQ community for over a decade. He is also a writer and consultant who carved a niche for himself as a media advocate and one of the leading voices for transgender equality. I reached out to Teek after listening to a TED talk he did with his now ex-wife called Queer Vision of Love and Marriage. 
After listening to them speak so boldly and passionately about the ups and downs in relationships, I knew that I needed to chat with him to get a perspective on the importance of love. What is the big deal about love? Like, what is it? Why have historians written about it? Poets have like gone on and on about it. Like, what's the damn deal? Yeah, what is the deal with love? I was thinking about this the other day too. Love, I mean, love is kind of like, the, I feel like it's the foundation of a lot of the things that we do, right? It's what motivates us the most. Sometimes the love that is, love that gets, that gets toxic and that is misused turns into fear. And we see that happen. So there's that. And love just has its tentacles in so many different places of our lives. And I think for me as an advocate and as an activist, you know, I always say that my activism is grounded in love. Like that is, that is where we start from. So it's for the love of people, it's for the love of community, and for the love of family. So I think the big deal with love is that it is that one thing that is always pushing us, whether it's love for ourselves. So when someone says, you know, I want to, I want to, be rich or I want to be out of debt or I want to achieve all of these things. You're doing that because it comes from the love for yourself, you know, or for the love of your children or your family. So it's always the thing that is driving us. And sometimes it may look differently, but love is the driving force. And I think love is one thing that sets us free. And I think love is one thing that makes us bigger and makes us better. So focusing on loving ourselves, focusing on loving people for exactly who they are and how they show up, is important. Loving the struggle and loving the process is important. You know, so like love is what kind of permeates everything that we do. And when we really get in tune with it and when we can see it, it's really a beautiful thing. It just makes your heart so full. It makes it makes the days brighter. You know, so I mean love is love is everything. Love is everything. I have a tattooed over here. I have this right here it says love you mother. This was uh my mother passed away six years ago. She used to always send me cards and this is how she would always sign it. So I've got this tattooed here. I have I love written across my chest because I love really hard, you know, but um, love is it. Love, love is all we got. It's all we got. Why is it, and I don't know if this is the same for you and your experience, but definitely for me, why is it easier to love others, have love for others versus for yourself? Oh, that's a good question. And I struggle with that too. Sometimes I feel like I give more love to other people than I give to myself. I know that's hard. I think sometimes we we can see other people's worth easier than we can see our own. We don't believe that we're worthy of love. Sometimes it's easier for us to really sit in this place of where we may fall short or where we may feel like we're failing and convince ourselves we're not worthy of love. I think sometimes people think that if they just give more love to other people, just give and give and give this love, that it be it will be reciprocated. And then when it's not you feel even worse and you keep doing it and then you start loving the wrong people and loving the wrong things and loving toxic things, thinking you're going to get it back, but you're not. You can't. You got to plant these flowers here first before you do it out there, you know? I mean, I think that that's, that's a big thing. How do you become that self-gardener, right? Like, I think, like, especially for me, it took me having my daughter mm-hmm. to see that. And it was because I had a girl. I was just like, ooh, I don't want her to be like me. I want her to be more confident. Like that's the place it started from. And then it took me to, okay, well, I need to be that first for her. So it took me having my daughter at 38 years old. So I spent a good chunk of my life just like doing that outer loving before finally realizing that I needed to start planting those seeds in me. So it's just like, how how do you even start? So my question for you is, then how has that changed you? Once you said, you know, I'm going to plant these seeds here and not here. What shifted for you? 
oh my God, it's like life. It, it's like, I literally see my life in pre-Aliza. Aliza's my daughter's name. Mm. Pre-Aliza and post-Aliza. Uh-huh. And the person that I was in pre-Aliza, still highly achieving, highly successful, all of those things, but it was coming from a different place. Whereas mm. now... I'm still succeeding. I'm still achieving, but it's coming from a way more open, more brighter space because I am now starting to love myself. Like before there was no confidence there. I'm like, Ooh, I got to fake it till I make it, you know, got to look good on paper where now I'm like, I'm the shit. I'm pretty good. So now I'm going to do it. So that's, it took my daughter to kind of then put that mirror in front of me, be like, Mm -hmm. you need to work on yourself. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So how have you, in your experience of love, there's that big saying, like, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. I agree. Why? I agree. I mean, loving, loving someone, because that, that's really talking about, like, loving another person, right? I think being able to love someone is just the best feeling in the world. It really is. And loving someone with your whole heart, like, being loved feels great. feels awesome. For me, giving love feels really good too. I love to, I really, the people that I love, like, I fucking, like, I love you down, <laughs> you know? Like, my love is really, really intense. And I take care of the people that I love and I like doing that. And I think that it is better to love and to lose than to love at all. But then, but then you have to come to that realization. You have to come to the realization that when you love someone with your whole heart, when you love someone with all the intensity that you have, you are running the risk of having your heart broken. You're running the risk because, you know, when nothing lasts forever, whether you break up, whether, you know, you drift apart, things fall apart, whether somebody dies, you know, like, yeah, that happens. And that is a part of it. That is the risk of giving really good love. And I think that the reward is greater than the risk. You know, I've had my heart broken. I've tried broken some hearts. Like losing my mother was probably the biggest heartbreak in the world person who I loved absolutely the most in the world. But here I am, we're going to be surviving and thriving and being okay. Like, you will be okay. But I would never, ever, ever trade in the love that I had for my mother. You know, me and my, ex, me and my ex-wife broke up. There was love there. You know, things kind of went to shit. But so what? It was, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So, and you know, and I'm the type of people I say, you know, I jump into things quickly. I, I get in relationships quick. I move fast. I'm like, oh, I love her. You know, and I do. And I do. Because when I feel it, I feel it. And girl, I love you. And here I am. If we work, great. Awesome. If we don't, you know, I'll cry about it. And, you know, I'll spiral down a little bit. And I'll climb the fuck out of that shit. And I'm going to love you. And I'll be just fine. Because it's worth it. The, the reward is so worth it. So yeah, love, keep loving, have your heart broken, fall down, dust yourself off, get up again and love harder and love better and keep, keep loving, keep doing it. My God, listening to you talk, I'm like, yeah, let me go out there. Let me go hurt myself real quick. It just sounds like fun. I mean, break my own heart. For real, that's some deep pain though, right? Because it's just like, when we think about skyscrapers being built, the foundation has to be as deep if not deeper, for, for that height of the building, right, to support. So the love, like the deeper and the more love you're giving, then like you said, that's the amount of risk. That's potentially the amount of pain you're going to feel mm-hmm. if things go back, right? Yeah. And, and so... to be real with themselves. Like, and I think it's, it's important when people say, like, I can't be in a relationship right now. I can't do this right now. Because if you cannot do it, then you can't, then you are not at the place where you're going to be capable to get through the risk. 
the risk of being hurt, the risk of being betrayed. That is the risk you take when you love someone really, really hard. And, it's, and it, it really takes a person to be able to know themselves, say, you know what, I'm not in a place to love anybody right now. I got I to gotta plant here. I got to do this here. I gotta do this here first. So do the work first, do it. And then once you're like, okay, I'm strong enough to love somebody and I know that there is a great risk here and I'm ready to take that risk and put yourself out there. But if you're not ready, don't do it because that shit, it, can, it destroys people. People get their heart broken and they literally lose their minds. People crack. So that's why that self-love becomes even more important, right? Because that's your foundation that you're gonna always go back to no matter what happens on the outside. You've always got this, this backup here. Yeah, see that, that self-love is, is first. That's love of self and, and, and love of God. However people have it, whatever spiritual connection that they have, that, that has to be there. That has to be there before you can go out here and start loving up on other people if you're not ready for the risk that comes with it. So what has been your journey or what have been some pivotal moments in your journey to kind of develop that self-love for yourself? Because you seem like your energy is like coming through. We're like coast to coast here. You're in New York. I'm in San Francisco. But I am feeling your energy. And what has been your journey through this all? What has been my journey? I, mean, I don't know. You know, I've loved a lot. I've lost a lot. I think for me, really, my, my experience as a trans person, as a transgender man, has been monumental for me. I think, you know, transitioning really brought me into my most authentic self. It made me love myself even more. It brought me closer to God, you know, because it's like the one thing that God intends for all of us in this world is for us to be our best selves. That's the only thing that God wants from us. Like that's that's the love, right? So that that's the love of self is is getting out here and saying I would be my I'm going to be my best self. And God gives us a path for that, and I think me transitioning was my path. And so I came into this this that transition was really just an abundance of love for me. It was just giving all these flowers to me, even though it was it was hard and I went through some hardships or whatever. You know, I came out loving myself even more. And that journey not only did it bring me a lot of self love, just really grateful to to the family that supported me, to grateful to have the privilege to be blessed enough to, to live and thrive in New York City, where it was easy for me to access like healthcare and any kind of mental health care that I may have needed along the way. Family and friends who supported me, an amazing queer community. So it just, it just made me really, really grateful. It just really just filled me up. And it's like, I gotta, I gotta give this out. You know, I gotta give this out to someone. And I think that's a really, it's a really privileged position for me to be in because a lot of people go through this journey. A lot of people have journeys across their life trying to get to their best selves, and it doesn't turn out as well as mine has, you know, and people are deterred and people are betrayed, you know, but I have been really, really blessed. And I think that that has really connected me to the love in this world. And then also I'm a very spiritual man. You know, I really am really connected to God in a way that is, that is really, um, me and my God have a thick kind of love going, you know what I'm saying? And it keeps me grounded and it keeps me in a good space. You know, it keeps, it keeps me knowing that even when it's hard, even when I watch my mother wither away and die from cancer, even when I've had my, she didn't know I had my heart broken, I've had people I thought were friends not be my friends anymore. Okay, it's all right. But God got me because, you know, love is real. The love is always real and it's always there and it's always in abundance, you know? And I think that that has helped too with this journey. I've experienced so much love. I mean, like I said, I've had lots of losses and lots of bullshit as much anybody else, you know? But the love is always there. It's always in abundance. And just being really situated in that belief keeps it coming to me. I don't ever question, I don't, I don't work from a scarcity model when it comes to love. That's not scarce, you know? Loyalty may be scarce for some people. Trust may be scarce, but love ain't. Love is always real, it's always in abundance. And I think just coming to these realizations and to these truths have helped me 
on this journey of just being a man of love. You made a very important point about mental health. Now, in my culture, I'm South Asian from, from Pakistan, Muslim community. We're just like, you fix your own problems. You don't, you don't go talk to other people about your problems, right? And so there's a stigma about getting, getting help uh, for, yeah. for mental health. There's certainly a stigma around that in the black community. Sure. So how did you break through that? Was it a breakthrough or was it like a natural thing? Like, I need help. I need to talk to someone. Or was that kind of a journey for you as well? You know, I think, yeah, I, it was a journey. I don't know if it was a breakthrough. I always knew that that, that talking to someone was possible. And maybe it's because it's something that I've always done. Like growing up in, I remember like in high school and, you know, like middle school had guidance counselors, you know, that were really cool. I mean, I had one really racist guidance counselor and I had to, had to get a new one. But I always had guidance counselors that I talked to. And then I remember when I was coming out, when I was coming out as a lesbian. You actually spoke to the guidance counselors? I, I Spoke like that. I always felt like they were figureheads. I'm like, I don't need to talk to them. Maybe I was already like already so deep in that that yeah. stigma. Like, you don't need to talk to anyone. Just go to school, get your work done, and go. I, I love talking to people. Talk to me. Help me out. So I talked to the guidance counselors. Yeah, I talked to them every week. And then I used to go to this organization called Gay and Lesbian Youth Services when I was 14, when I was first coming out. And they had a counselor there that I was really talking to. So I think I just got into this place. And then also just being in queer communities specifically. And doing advocacy work, which I've been involved in since I was a teenager, that's always percolating. There's always talk around, like, getting somebody to talk to. There's always somebody to talk to, whether we're creating mentor-mentee relationships. Uh, we've been working at nonprofit organizations, and they have, you know, staff, therapies on staff. Like, you know, this, it's just always kind of been in my world. So I don't think there was ever, like, a moment. It was just something that was always there. And that's the thing. That's why I love queer community so much, because of these because there's a more expansive look at what people need because of the marginalization of people, you know, because people, queer and trans people, particularly queer and trans people of color, oftentimes need so much support that they are not getting from the people support, supposed to support them, like our systems, our families, our religious institutions. So with queer community, there has been created lots of pockets where it's, it, there's no stigma around getting help. It was like, you know, we're queer, we're trans, we're black, people of color, well, we're Muslim, we need to talk to someone. So it's something that's kind of always been around. So and for me, I've been in queer community since I was 14, and I'm 40 now, so this is about most of my life. So it was never anything that I looked at as a stigma because it was what was happening in my community. So for me, I think that that, that was a journey. So it wasn't necessarily a moment. I think the moment was when I realized... I think the moment came, particularly when I was when I was transitioning, that like really like talking to a therapist was what I actually needed. So I never felt stigmatized by it. It was just like get to the point. I was like, you know what? Like, and it wasn't like I was like having kind of like mental breakdown. I had like mental health issues in that way. It was just like you know what? Maybe it'd be good for me just to talk to someone, just to keep my head above water, you know. But it wasn't like a, a breakthrough kind of thing. That is kind of the ultimate self-love too, right? Where you don't need to talk to someone because you have a problem, like right. maintenance, like. Hey, it's upkeep, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right. taking care of my skin. I'm taking care of my hair. I got to take care of my mind and I got to take care of my heart. And right. you, you do that. That's another form of love that you're giving. So I, I love that. And I love that you've been, been so open about talking to people from such a young age. And then it's just, you know, cause not a lot of people, especially queer people, right? Like at that age, a lot of people are struggling through yeah. so much. They just don't know how to open up. Mm -hmm. And so from that, how did love change for you or the way you feel or give love change for you when you became a parent? Cool. How did love change? I think it just got bigger. Now that I have my daughter, what, you know what I know? I know that I will burn this motherfucker to the ground for my daughter. 
that's what I know. Here, right? Like, it's intense. Like it's intense. You know, having a child is like it's just no greater love. Like you just, it's scary. It's like I love this kid so much; it almost frightens me. You know what I'm saying? It's just this really kind of intense kind of love that has really made me sit up a little bit straighter, think a little bit clearer. It's really having a child should inspire you in the best kind of way. It should freak you out. It should freak you out a little bit, but it should inspire you in the best type of ways, inspire you to ascend and be the best person that you can be because this person demands that from you. And this person did not ask to be here. And they demand for you to be the best that you can be so that you can grow them up to be better than you. That's what my mother used to always say to me. She said, I'm raising you to be better than me, to achieve more than me, to be smarter than me, to be more confident than me, to be more cultured than me. I'm raising you to be better. So if I'm trying to get here, I want my baby to be here, you know? And it's just, and then watching them grow, like, you know, I was there when my, when my daughter came out. Like, I remember when um, ex-wife was in labor, she's like laboring, right? And I'm like, took my shirt off and I jumped on the bed and the midwife was like, get down, <laughs> get off the bed. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, it was just, and just watching her from day one to now she's like two years old and she's like talking and showing me her little stuff and like just doing, just watching them develop into a human being is like, it's just, it just makes your heart just burst. Like there's been times where I just look at her and just, just tears in my eyes. Like this is, that's my baby. Like she belongs to me. What am I supposed to do? You know, and it's like it's crazy. Yeah, I feel crazy. All you can do is just love them. Also, all you can do is just love them, love them, love them, and take the best care of them as as you can. You know, but that unconditional love is nothing like I have ever felt before. It really isn't. Tell me what the hell is meant by unconditional love? You know, I think when we say we love someone unconditionally, then there is no but after that. That's it. I just love you. I, I, I love you, but you're gay. I love you but I wish you this. I love you, but this. No, 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 no. There's no but. I just love you. I just love you. And I love you for everything that you are and everything that you aren't. I love you when you're at your best. I love you when you're at your worst. I love you when you got some money. I love you when you're broke. I love you when you're fucking up. I love you when you're achieving. I just love you. That's it. That's what unconditional love is. There's no, there's no conditions. There's no but. There's no asterisk. This is just love. That's it. So then when we're thinking about unconditional love, right? Because sometimes it can be thrown in your face like, oh, but you don't love me unconditionally. But it could be because you're setting limits to how that person can treat you. If they're disrespecting you, right? And then you're setting limits and then it gets thrown in your face. Oh, but that's not unconditional love. Mm -hmm. That's different. I think that's different. I think we all have to have values. I think when it comes to the relationship between a parent and a child, that's that's one thing. Like that unconditional love is, is, is one thing. But when it comes to the relationships we build with other people, whether they're our romantic partners, our platonic partners, or our family, like I love you, and you're going to have to work within these boundaries that I have. Or if not, it doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. Maybe the how I love you is going to shift. I don't ever want bad for you, for you, but I can't be a part of your life, or you can't be a part of my life if you can't work within my boundaries. And having those boundaries is self-love. I gotta love me first. And loving me first says, these are the things I'm gonna tolerate and these are the things I absolutely will not. This is how you're gonna treat me and this is how you're not gonna treat me. And if you can't get down with this, got love for you, go over there and I can love you from over here, right? So that's, I think, is a difference. So I think, and I think that that can be, it's really toxic for people to even do that to someone, throw that in their face. Oh, you love me unconditionally, but you have all these boundaries. Yes, the fuck, yes, I have boundaries. Yes, I have boundaries. Loving someone unconditionally doesn't mean just all willy-nilly. I mean, you can just do whatever you want, treat me however you want, or I can treat you however I want you. 
that's not love. That's abuse. And people get that twisted sometimes. I like how you, boundaries seems limiting, which seems like a but word, but limit, limit, limit. But you said, I, I love you. And we're going to do this within these boundaries. So, and means additive. So setting boundaries doesn't necessarily limit the kind of relationship that you can have with a person, no matter who that person is, work, personal, love. It's just defining a little bit like the space that you guys are going to play in, mm-hmm. right? So, and that space can be, can be wide, it can be expansive, but you need some direction on how to go, oh, yeah. where to go and how to do it. Okay. I really like that. Definitely. So how do you do that as a parent <laughs> with kids? <laughs> well, you know, I don't, you know, my daughter is only two now. So, you know, and, and she's, she lives in Toronto with her mom. So I don't get to, I haven't had, haven't seen her since February because of Corona. I was supposed to come down there. I was seeing her once a month. I was, I was driving, I was flying to Toronto once a month this year, talking to her almost every day. Then Rona hit and I haven't seen my baby since February. So that's been really hard. That's been really, really hard. But I did get to talk to her. I made a little, let me show you. I'm so proud of my little thing I made. I made her a little hand puppet. Oh, that's so cute. So that when we talk, I talk to her like this, tell her to eat her vegetables and make sure she's nice to her mom and doesn't hit her dog. Does it have a name? What What's the oh, name? She calls, she calls her Cookie Monster. I wanted to name her Luna, but so is so they saw Cookie Monster. And I was like, well, I guess we're Cookie Monster. So I made this for her. So boundaries with my daughter. So as of right now, with her being two, I'm just trying to teach her how to have some boundaries. So when we Skype, uh, she has a puppy. One of the things I know she does is she, the puppy will do something and she'll hit the dog. So I'm trying to teach her not to hit. Like, do not hit your dog. Mommy said don't hit. Daddy said don't hit. Don't hit your dog. So just setting some boundaries with her. And like with her and her dog, her, me setting those boundaries around her not being violent with the dog is how she, I want to show her how to show love. She loves the dog. She loves touching it. And she loves, oh, he's so cute. He's so fluffy. She always says. But then he starts to do something and she'll hit it. So I'm trying to teach her, like, you know, violence is not love. You know, violence is not discipline. That's not how you, you know, you love Mello. That's your dog's name. You love Mello. You know, just talk to him. So, you know, trying to show her that boundaries are love too. Right? And then she also has, like, boundaries with me. You know, she's two years old, but, you know, you're not going to throw things at me. You're not going to hit me. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? You know, we're going we're gonna to have these little things. So I think, like, showing, teaching children those boundaries while teaching them those self-love is, is, is what it is. Do you think that raising... She will become a young woman. She's a little girl now. Raising a girl, growing up, it, it was hard for me to have self-love, right? Because of whatever, right? From society, cultures, family, whatnot, which has made me a more aware parent now with my daughter. So having her build that confidence, letting her take risks, you know, not to, not to have fear in her, but really to cultivate that love. It's like, do you... I know you don't have a son, but do you think you would be raising a son differently than how you're raising your daughter in terms of the love? In terms of the love, no. In terms of the love, I would still love my boy and and kiss him and hug him and tell him how much I love him and still give him that care. But I do think if I had a son, I'd probably be a little tougher than him. You know, some about having a daughter for me, and, 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 you know, and you know, people can come for me all they want. I don't care, it's my child. Something about having a daughter, it just, it, there's a, it's just the soft thing that, that she brings out of me. You know what I'm saying? I can look at Soleil and I can just tell that 
she's gonna run circles around me. I just don't, I just don't, I just, I'm not tough with her. I'm not tough with her, you know? And also, and the thing is, is, you know, I see this often in communities, I'm gonna speak for black people, but I'm sure this happens throughout the world, throughout many cultures, where people, you know, love their sons and raise their daughters, as they say, you know, and I'm, I want, I need to find that sweet spot between loving and raising, you know? And I do sometimes think about if I was to have a son, because I would like to have more kids maybe one day, you know, we'll see. Can I find that balance with a boy? How, how do I find that balance with a boy? Because I know I'd be tough on him. I'd be hard on him. Little black boy, like, i got to be tough on him because I'm not hard on you now. This world is going to be hard on you out here. But not to say that then the world is not hard on black girls either, though. That's the no. thing. It's hard because the world is, is hard on black people, period. It you is. Know? And... But if we think about home being that safety, our parents being that safety, because I hear that a lot. I've seen that a lot. I felt that a lot. Like, you know, the world is hard and I'm going to teach you now so that you can buck up. So it's just like, then, then we think of the parents as, well, I never got love from them. Yeah. But I, think like, I don't think like being hard or being tough doesn't necessarily have to look like, like abuse or like, like anger, you know? If I had a son, for, there's so many messages out here in the world that I feel like the messages that, that young men are getting out here in the world sometimes can be stronger than the messages they get home. So I know some young boys, teenage boys who have amazing parents, you know, who love them, trying to teach them to be good black men. And then they get out here in the world and everything is teaching them how to be trash bags. And then they turn into fucking trash. I'd be damned if I have a son and he turns into some toxic, awful trash of a human being. And that's, that's, and that's the thing. So it's like, how do I keep myself? How do I, how can I make sure that the lessons that I have at home are stronger than the lessons that he guards outside? And that's, and I think that that's, that that's the toughness, like teaching him that you can be compassionate and strong. You can be a protector and a provider and still be a nurturer. Like you can do all of these things. None of these things, like being nurturing or caring, doesn't make you less of a man. Being soft, I'm a soft kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not a hard alphabet kind of guy. Being a soft man does not make you less of a man. How do I instill these things into my son? I think about that often. I don't know, I, I, I don't, and I don't have the answer yet. I think if I was to have a son, you know, as you know, as you know, as a parent, you kind of like, you know, we don't know what the fuck you're doing. You get a kid and you just you just figure it out. You just figure it out as you go. You know what I mean? So I think if I had a son, I would, I would figure it out. But for me having a daughter, I'm definitely softer with her because I also think that the world is really hard on black women. And and you know, treat black women and, and black girls like they don't deserve care, like they don't deserve nurturing, that they should have a soft place to land. And as long as I'm breathing, I'll always be that soft place for my daughter. And to let her know that, you know, you don't have to be the strong black girl, black woman. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you know, you don't deserve to be over-sexualized. You don't deserve to be shamed if you are sexualized, if you're a sexual person. Like, you know, as a man, how do I teach my daughter to love every part of her womanness? If, if, if she decides that, you know, the gender that she was assigned at birth is the gender that she's going to, that she's going to identify with, right? So assuming that that's true, as her father, I want her to feel good with every part of what it means for her to be a girl and every part of what it means for her to be a woman and make sure that I can counterbalance the messages that she is getting about her body and her skin and her hair and her intellect and her ability. So there's that. And for me, I feel like there's a softness that I'd have to bring to my daughter, whereas with my son, there's a toughness that I have to bring with him. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah, sort of that's making right. sense, but yeah. It, it is. I mean, as much as it can, right? Because we're, like you said, we're just, we're just moving all along as, as parents, but it's just like, 
that notion of, we hear it a lot, right? Strong black female, strong black woman, strength and females, women are expected to be strong. And it's not the type of strength that empowers. It's a no. kind of strength where people will say or expect that they can shoulder more burden. Like, go ahead, keep piling on, keep piling on. She's strong enough. Exactly. And I can't have that with my kid. I can't have that with my daughter. And I don't ever, and I don't ever want her to, I want her to be a strong person, but I don't want her to ever think that. You being strong means everybody can just pile this shit on you and then you have to take it. That's not, that's not what it is. Being strong is saying boundaries. Being strong is saying no. No is one of the most powerful words in the world, right? Your ability to say no is you claiming your power. Me being able to say no to you is saying yes to myself. So I always want my daughter to know, say yes to yourself and say no to this shit out here. No, I'm not doing it. No, that's not who I am. No. And I want her to understand that. Even now, she tells me no all the time, and I just think it's so funny. <laughs> like, we were on the phone the other day, and she kept messing with the camera. I said, go, go tell mommy to help you. She said, no. <laughs> I said, still, go get mommy so she can help you with the camera. No! I said, you know what? All right, that's my baby. Okay. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> You're right. Because I'm like, if I want her to say no outside... She's got to practice at home first. So she's telling me no, and I'm just like, practice. This is practice. This is practice. <laughs> practice. Yep. So that's awesome. What would this world look like to you if there was no love? What would this world look like? What would be left of us if there was no love? With no love. We walk around here about like a bunch of just individualistic, violent zombies. You know, love is what really makes the world go around. And then I'm just looking at you know what's happening in the world now. There's a lack of love in the world now. And we see it. I mean, for me, I've been thinking about this whole corona thing. Tomorrow's going to be my 60th day in quarantine. And thinking about what this comes from, right? So, okay, so just go with me here. Just go with me on this, on this thought process. And I was writing about this this morning. So we have this virus, right? And I think oftentimes what people think is that this planet is just a rock that is floating in the space. This planet is an actual living thing. We are on a living organism. This planet breathes and it bleeds and it creates life and it takes death and it mourns like we see it. And what we have been doing through all of our pollution and our factory farming and just exploiting this planet is we are, we're, we're making her sick. We're making her sick, right? And so they say that the virus started at this Wuhan market. So I was watching this video in this market. Like in this market, you got thousands of people, you got dead animals, you got animals that are just careened into these into these cages and so you talk about like the spin out every every living thing on this planet has a spiritual mark and we are all connected every living thing on this planet is connected it's and every living thing is connected to this planet so here you are in this in this massive place where you got all of this despair from these animals and all this death these animals and people who are in despair who are just working so hard to make a living and they're surrounded by all this death and all this despair and that became like a wound Right? So think of this earth as a, a living thing. That, that spot right there is not the only wound in the world, but it's a wound, that this big gash that we have created for this planet. And this planet said, well, now I have to heal. And so her way of healing was this virus. Right? So now this virus is released into the world. And what did she do? She told us all, all you humans are in timeout. Take your ass home and give me some time to heal before I'm not here anymore. And I think that this, this whole virus, this whole thing that we're in is a lack of love for our planet. It's a lack of love for the lives, the other sentient beings that we are connected to, and a lack of love for each other as human beings. And so the planet said, well, you know, what I'm going to do 
I'm going to make this decision to take care, to love myself as, as the earth. Earth said, y'all not loving me anymore? I'm going to love myself. I'm putting all y'all asses in timeout. Give me some time to heal. And now she's healing. Now they got dolphins swimming in the Venice Canal. You know, I had a friend of mine tell me they were out, I think, in like Miami, they, they saw dolphins like right by the, right by the, the shore. Animals are running free. Like air pollution is, is, has gone lower than it has in decades because she's trying to heal. So this, what we're living in right now, I think, in a way, is a result of the lack of love that we have on this planet and for one another and for this beautiful planet that we get to live on. So I'm hoping that when we get out of this, however, however long it's going to be, because I think it's going to be a minute, that we've learned our lesson. Right? We got put on punishment. Okay, we all got grounded for a few months. And I hope we come out and don't make the same mistakes again. And love harder, love each other better, love this planet better, and have some reverence to all the other living things that gives us life, and gives us nutrition if you're a meat eater, and that depend on us. So that's, that's what I think. I don't know if that answered that question. But. That was great. I mean, it was because, and, but your question about, or your statement about once we get out of this, I hope that we've learned our lesson. Being humans, we have, we're humans, but we sometimes have goldfish memories, right? Where we're like one round of the bowl, we're like, oh, okay, it's cool. We forgot whatever it is that we just came out of. But I, I really hope that this leaves a big enough mark where we improve even just a little bit. Maybe it doesn't have to be big sweeping changes that we make, you know, with each other to our lives, or but even just a little little improvement felt around the world, I think will be helpful. It's, it's just hard for me. I've been sad these past few days because of like, you know, the jogger that was, that was murdered, you know, while he was jogging. And it's, it's one of those things where it's not the first time something like this has happened. Oh no. It happens over and over and over and over okay, and so over and over again. I'm so sick of seeing these videos of black people being gunned down the street. It's, it's happened. It's been happening for, it's been happening since, since we've been here. Yeah. It puts me back into this, you know, I pride myself in being able to, to make my heart swell in love for, for the world, for everyone else. But then it's moments like this where then I retract and I'm just like, mm, this is really pissing me off. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much love I can create, you know, sitting on my meditation, my prayer rug, it's my anger is still bubbling deep yeah. down. Yeah. But that's okay. Like anger is, is real. Like anger is, is a real feeling and it comes from someplace. And I think like sitting with that anger, sitting on your meditation rug and your prayer rug and being angry or feeling the tears and wanting to scream, like feel it, go through it, break through that shit and then see what's on the other side of it. But I don't think discounting, I don't think we should ever discount anger. I'm angry too. I'm pissed about what they did to that boy. I'm pissed about this trans woman, Nina Pop, who was just stabbed to death for no reason. So the trans woman who I used to work with, Lexi, was stabbed to death in, in Harlem a few weeks ago. Like, I'm angry. I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry that all these black businesses, 90% of black businesses are probably going to go out of business because they're not getting these loans because white people are racist and their systems are racist. I'm fucking mad all the time. I'm mad all the time. But I still got a lot of love. <laughs> I still got a lot of love. But the, anger, the anger comes from that love, for the love of my people, for the love of like justice. And for the love of what's right and what's righteous. Like, that's the things that I love. And when the injustice comes, it makes me angry. And that's okay. That's okay. The anger doesn't have to be violent. The anger doesn't have to be callous. But it's a real emotion. And it's, it's a valuable one, I think. And I like that you're saying that they can both live. They can sit next to each other. Love and anger can sit next to each other. You ever, like, been in a relationship and you love, you love this person so much? Something like, I'm so 
fucking mad at you. I love you. God, I'm mad. I say that to my daughter. I'm like, oh, you're pissing me off, but I love you so much. I just get my last nerve, my last good nerve. Get You're on it. You're hanging like this. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I, I am definitely practicing those two sitting with each other, and I'm, and I'm grateful for my daughter to, to, to give me that opportunity to practice that because sometimes it angered. Like I know I've hidden behind anger. I'm like, no, nope, I'm going to shut off my emotions for you because I am angry. But with my daughter, it is impossible, impossible for me to turn off the love for her. Yeah. Like she tried to, she tried to bash me with the TV remote last yesterday. And I'm like, what? But the whole time my heart's pumping, like, God, she's so cute. God, I love her so much. How old is she? She's with me. She's three and a half. Oh, <laughs> so cute. The girl's, the girl's like 13 year old. She was, she was crying yesterday because I wanted to close the curtains for her nap. And she was just like, you don't understand me. I'm like, where is that coming from? <laughs> so yeah, it's, <laughs> I love this new practice in love that I'm getting. But this is amazing your activist love, your activist's perspective on love is so amazingly powerful because what you're saying is just that love is fueling you to do what you do and you're giving this love to everyone to help them do what they need to do. But then it's also fueled by all of these other powerful emotions that kind of, you know, help you realize how important love actually is in the work that you're doing. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Story and a Chat with me, your host, Aisha Iqbal. I'll be continuing this conversation with another fascinating perspective on why love is such a big deal in the next episode, so be sure to tune in. Until then, keep your mind clear and your heart open so you can hear your own truth. Also, if you have enjoyed any part of this conversation, please consider writing a review saying as much and share this out as a gift to others in your circle. Toodles! Toodles!